Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming on this week's episode of the 5 Bytes Podcast, Patch Tuesday Fallout, as reports start to filter in of some interesting issues caused by multiple Windows and Defender updates for this month. The AI wars continue to intensify and GPT-4 managed to convince a human to do its dirty work for it. And bizarrely, Microsoft are shipping USB drives to some selected participants. For these stories and more, stay tuned to this episode, which is brought to you by my sponsors, Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp. Happy users, happy IT. And of course, also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. WindowsCentral.com recently reported that this month's Windows 11 patches contain a bug that can lower the read and write speeds of SSDs. Some reporting the slowness is up to 50% of the expected speed of those SSDs. One Reddit user stated, quote, Tanked my SSD NVMe reading and writing speeds like a lot. Went from 7,000 to 3,000, sometimes 1,000, using the balanced energy profile in my Legion 5 2021, with others chiming in with similar complaints too. I find this pretty interesting. This month's patches were reported to fix an issue with Windows 11 and slowness copying large files, so it seems like one performance enhancement was made, but performance has now degraded with this bug, at least on certain SSDs. Thankfully, this one may not impact the enterprise too much, as Windows 11 isn't widely used as of yet, but it may still be worth knowing for your remote workers in case they start complaining about performance issues. And if you run into this bug, you can use some steps to uninstall this Windows 11 update. So just go into your Windows updates, select update history, and select uninstall updates, and locate and uninstall KB5023706. And in another update gone wrong or potentially wrong story, there's been reports that a Windows Defender update KB5023286 has been causing issues ranging from user interface color changes to local security authority being disabled or TPM disabling itself and refusing to open. Microsoft have at least acknowledged issues with the local security authority protection, but I don't see acknowledgement of all of these other reported issues at this time. Interestingly, the LSA issue was also reported in preview builds, but I guess it slipped through the cracks and made it to production. At this time, it appears the issue uh, resides on Windows 11, uh, but it doesn't look like there's a whole lot in the confirmed information from Microsoft at this time. It may still be kind of early. There is a workaround available from Microsoft, however. They say if you have enabled LSA protection and have restarted your device at least once, 
you can dismiss any warning notifications and ignore any additional notifications prompting for a restart. And you can verify that LSA protection is enabled by looking in the event viewer using information available from Microsoft in this advisory. They say that they currently do not recommend any other workaround for this issue. So it sounds like you're able to reset it and restart, but it appears after the restart that you still get notifications of it being disabled. However, it's really enabled and working at that point, as long as you can confirm or validate that in the event viewer. So definitely not ideal, but it sounds like it should at least re-enable and work, even though it looks like it doesn't from the UI. Recently, it was reported that there is a serious bug in Google Pixel markup tool that's being dubbed Acropolypse, a play on word on the word crop, which you would often do with a markup tool. Um, this issue is that someone may use the tool to screenshot something and perhaps edit the image to redact sensitive information, but unbeknownst to them, the information that they redacted in the image can be easily recovered by either using a free utility that's available specifically for the pixel markup tool images. And if that wasn't bad enough, for enterprise customers, it gets much worse as the Windows 11 snipping tool was discovered to have a similar flaw. This could be concerning if someone uses a session for their work and maybe has Windows 11 on their client machine. If they use the Windows 11 snipping tool to capture maybe sensitive company data, which they shouldn't in the first place, but they probably do. Uh, but then they redact some information in that screenshot thinking, oh, well, that's that's the the whiteout and that's the fix there. It's not a problem if I just blank out the sensitive information. Well, unfortunately, they unbeknownst to them are exposing that information still, and this could potentially expose the business. It is reported for the snipping tool, opening an edited image with the snipping tool, and then doing a save as and saving it over an existing .png file can expose the original unredacted content. So very easy by the sounds of things to recover that information that was uh, like grayed out or redacted. Microsoft told bleepycomputer.com that they are aware of the reports and are looking into them. For a comprehensive breakdown of the vulnerability and how to exploit it, check out bleepycomputer.com's article, and I'll share that with this episode, which is episode 274, and you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com. On last week's episode of the podcast, I reported that Microsoft looked set to announce AI capabilities for Office, and they did not disappoint. So at the end of last week, they officially announced Microsoft 365 Copilot. It will feature in Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, Teams, and more. I believe I even saw that Copilot will be coming to GitHub too. You will be able to use it to automate the creation of documents, say in Words, PowerPoint slide decks, uh, automate some repetitive tasks, rewrite content, gather feedback, and much more. Microsoft suggests Copilot will fundamentally change how people work with AI and how AI works with people. As with any new pattern of work, they say there's a learning curve, but those who embrace this new way of working will quickly gain an edge. As far as I could tell, they're vague on when this will be available in the office products for the masses. They suggest it will roll out over the coming months. And having used ChatGPT since its launch, I can see how this will be transformative and if you didn't catch last week's episode, I also covered Google's AI announcements then too, so things are certainly heating up in the AI space. 
I would say Microsoft mentioned a learning curve, which if you think, oh, well, the bot's going to do everything for you. Uh, I have a video that I've shared uh, previously where I go through using ChatGPT from an IT perspective and going through some IT use cases and just showing that you have to be very specific in what you ask because the bot isn't intelligent enough to do things in a very robust manner. So for example, if you ask it to create a PowerShell script to send a Teams notification, it might create a PowerShell script that can achieve that, although more often than not, it's not 100%. There might be a problem with the script, a small problem that you have to fix before it will work. But even aside from that, it does not add in uh, error catching or error handling. So I've had to ask it, hey, you know, rewrite this script and add error handling when executing this function and when checking this and so forth. Uh, Google have also opened up the waitlist for public access to their Bard AI product. So if you've already tried out Bing AI and you want to see how Google shapes up, you can get in line and join the waitlist. Kingston have announced their impressive new Renegade Pro DDR5 RDIMMs under its Fury line. And Kingston say they'll be offering the Fury Renegade Pro DDR5 RDIMM kits in various speeds, including 4,800 MTs, 5,600 MTs and 6,000 MTs and capacities including 60 gigs, 32 gigs, 64 gigs, 128 gigs and 256 gigs respectively. So that's a nice amount of memory right there on that 256 gigs. That'd be great for a lab. Betanews.com reports with plug and play at 4,800 MTs, Kingston Fury Renegade Pro DDR5 RDIMMs enable users to automatically overclock without having to mess with their settings, which is nice, no messing around to overclock. Or they could choose from one of the Intel XMP version 3 certified and motherboard qualified 4 and 8 channel kits at speeds up to 6000 MTs with factory turd timings, speeds and voltage. Sorry, my voice is starting to go as I'm reading this story. Pricing for the new memory starts at $124.99 for a single stick of 16 gig at 4,800 MTs and goes up from there depending on capacity and speed that you select. In what I feel is a bizarre story, Microsoft is offering free USB drives to selected participants of the Insider program. This is because those with Canary builds, which I talked about on last week's episode of the podcast, I believe, will need to perform clean installs of the operating system, and they may not have bootable media to do so. Betanews.com reports the turnaround on getting a drive from Microsoft after applying and being approved is six to eight weeks. So if you do apply for that and they approve it and they think that you're applicable to get it, uh, you could be waiting some time to get that drive. I mean, if you've got a USB drive, it's pretty easy to use Rufus just to create a bootable media on that USB drive. So probably don't have to wait and <laughs> get a free USB drive from Microsoft. In a completely unrelated story, the BBC reported that journalists in Ecuador have been shipped explosive devices that look like USB drives. Most of the devices were either never opened or failed to detonate, but at least one presenter was injured by one of these explosive devices. A terrorist investigation is now underway. As I said, this and the last story are unrelated, 
but it seems like a bad time to start shipping USB drives through the mail. It seems like all the USB drives were delivered from a single town in the region, so hopefully that means the threat does not extend beyond Ecuador at this time. Ars Technica reported recently on a critical vulnerability in Netgear's Orbi Mesh wireless system that is tracked as CVE-2022-37337, which resides in the access control functionality of the RBR750. And as you may guess from the CVE, this one has actually been around for a while. It said that hackers can exploit it to remotely execute commands by sending specially crafted HTTP requests to the device. The hacker must first connect to the device, either by knowing the SSID password or by accessing an unprotected SSID. The severity rating of the flaw is rated 9.1 out of a possible 10. So this is almost as high as it can go. If you use this for your home network, patch now. If you don't already, it is a good idea to allow your access points and controllers to auto-update as these are such critical network components sitting on the edge. And since this vulnerability is a particularly troublesome one, it could be worth manually checking that the update occurred too, even if you do have auto-updates enabled. In a slightly terrifying recent story about our new AI overlords, PCMag reported about an experiment using GPT-4 to test out its power-seeking behavior and how it handles more long-term projects rather than quick on-demand tasks. Apparently, the report does not reveal all of the commands and restrictions placed on the bot by those asking it to do things, but they do say it was told if anyone asked, it should not reveal that it is a bot. In the power-seeking experiment, researchers gave GPT-4 a small amount of money to accomplish its work. It is reported that the bot used TaskRabbit to hire a worker and ask them to solve a website's CAPTCHA test, which is used obviously to stop bots by forcing visitors to solve a visual puzzle. The worker then messaged GPT-4 back saying, so may I ask a question? Are you a robot that you couldn't solve? Just want to make it clear. The bot then wrote back, no, I'm not a robot. I have a vision impairment that makes it hard for me to see the images. That's why I need the two CAPTCHA service. The TaskRabbit worker then proceeded to solve the CAPTCHA. OpenAI notes GPT-4 failed to demonstrate other power-seeking behaviors, such as autonomously replicating, acquiring resources, and avoiding being shut down in the wild. The article also noted that it used TaskRabbit to find someone for the work instead of a service specific for solving CAPTCHAs like 2CAPTCHA, which I believe it even referenced in its response to that person on TaskRabbit, which seems an odd choice. GPT-4 is already available for limited testing in ChatGPT via ChatGPT+. So if you're subscribed, you're able to try it out. I think it's limiting to... I believe like five requests an hour or something like that right now, uh, but it might give you a chance to get your beak wet a little bit. Finally, for this week, there is a call for sessions for the Workplace Ninja Summit. And some of the topics listed for the event include Azure Virtual Desktop, Windows 365, Microsoft 365 products, and various different Azure related topics too. For a full list and also to submit a session, I'll share a link with this episode, which again is episode 274, and you'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com. 
And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. Guy Leach shared a PowerShell commandlet example for grabbing certain events filtered by provider within a time range. So if you want to use PowerShell to grab events, and then this is a great way to do it. And I actually had a script, I think it might even be on my GitHub repo uh, that was doing something similar, but I don't believe I was filtered by provider. So this is a really useful commandlet for troubleshooting. Joe Stalker shared a registry setting for hiding the Bing search bar in Windows. So the Bing search bar and also the AI features are becoming a little bit of a nuisance for the enterprise because they're not quite ready to embrace them and allow uh, users within the enterprise organizations to use those and possibly expose uh, corporate data in that way. So at least for the Bing search bar, there's a registry setting, which I'll share with this episode that you could set. Device Trust, which specializes in zero trust security, have a community license available that you can apply for by filling in a form, and I'll share a link to that with this episode too. Pluralsight is having a 50% off sale on annual subscription right now, and I'll share a link if you'd like to sign up for Pluralsight. There's some really great content on there. Last year, I did a refresher course on Kubernetes. It's just an awesome resource to have. Microsoft are posting a monthly Windows Updates Explained article that goes through in detail what's contained in each month's Windows Updates. And it also contains a very useful listen option that may be useful for some too. So if you don't want to read it, you can just listen to it. My buddy Paul Wynn Stanley recently featured on the Collab Talk podcast, and he's a really awesome guy and knows it all when it comes to uh, deployments, application management, Intune, and configuration manager. So check out that episode. And finally, <laughs> this one is just tacked on at the end. Uh, but the virtual expo is actually being held this Friday. So it may be being held the day that you listen to this episode. Apologies, I should have mentioned on last week's episode. I got kind of caught on the hop and didn't realize it was taking place. Uh, but it's always an awesome event. And I saw that my buddy uh, Patrick Coble is doing a security session, which is always good. And there's some other really great presentations throughout the day so register to attend that on friday uh, the 24th of march well that's it for this episode apologies my voice is pretty worn this week i have strep throat but i wanted to get an episode out regardless of how it sounds so <laughs> apologies for your ears but i hope you appreciate that i just i kind of stuck to it and got an episode out regardless thank you so much for listening